Good morning. I was in a locked mental ward, not for myself. And the charge nurse came up and said, the addiction therapist can't make it tonight, and I need you to go in and do the addiction group. And I thought I knew nothing about it. And I said, well, what, what should I do? He said, here, take this book. This is called the big book. And go in there and uh, just read how it works. And I did, and or I had them read it. And as I sat there, I thought, I can do this. This is Bible without the verses. <laughs> I know how to do this. And that was my introduction to addictions. And then later on, I did some different education on that. And as a result, came, uh, came into this addiction field. I've worked at an inpatient and an outpatient level. I've worked in long-term residential with families. And what I uh, have learned, I came to share with you today. Well, the question, uh, what is addiction? If you read your Bible closely, you will probably note that you've not read the word addiction in your Bible unless you have a King James Bible. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15 in King James, it talks about, Paul talks to the Corinthians uh, who have come out of a whole bunch of stuff that, uh, that very well could fall in the category of, of addictions. He talks about drunkenness and extortioners and um, all kinds of background on these people. And by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 16, 15, he tells them that there is a positive addiction. And I would encourage you all to be addicts today. Addicted to the ministry is what he says. Addicted to the Lord. Addicted to evangelism. Be obsessive and compulsive about that. But do not turn that skill into things that are illicit. The Bible doesn't use the term addictions uh, except there in one other place. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, I believe it was, or Titus. And there he talks about how people are basically caught up in sin and addicted to sin. Now, when we, when we look at the scriptures, we, uh, we find that there are terms that really, although the word addiction is not used, the description of addiction is in the Bible. And I start out with this uh, uh, and some other verses we'll look at in a moment. Paul talks about how things can gain power over us. That we give our power to something. Whether it be food, whether it be gambling, whether it be substances, um, ritualistic behaviors, pornography, uh, or various other things, we can be brought under the power of stuff. Now this particular verse is about being brought under the power of food. And, uh, and so it could very well be applied to a food addiction. But Paul talks here about how our power, our willpower, if you will, can be hijacked. And he said, I'm not going to be brought under the power of any of these particular foods he talks about. And then the word stronghold is used. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 14, we'll look at it in a moment. Uh, and Paul talks there about how the Word of God is powerful to the casting down of strongholds and everything that exalts itself against God. We can, the devil can build strongholds in our life. The question is, 
Someone is going to rule in our, or the issue is someone's going to rule in our life. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be God or is it going to be Satan? Now, Satan himself is quoted in the Bible and cited there in the book of Job where he talks to God and he says, of course Job follows you. You have built hedges around him where I can't get to him. Here's what I learned from this. Is that in our lives we are either building hedges or we're building strongholds. Hedges are ways that as we live a faithful life, the more faithful we are, the more we get into faithful routines, the harder it is for the devil to get us. But the more we allow this stronghold to be set up in our life, then the more, the more Satan can come in and capture us. Now, how do you build a stronghold? Basically, what you say is, Lord, I surrender to you in everything except... Whatever goes in that exception blank is where Satan starts to build a fortress in your life. And ultimately, he will succeed in that if we don't surrender. Now, our approach in this lesson is twofold. That is, as we go to the highways, byways, and hedges, and we compel people to come in, we get drug addicts. We get people that have lived promiscuous lifestyles. We get all the stuff that goes with that. And so our challenge for them is how to help them drop that burden. And to do that, we need to kind of have an understanding of where they are and where they've been. And how we might be able to help and encourage them rather than judge them. So that's one. But the other is in the church. And that is those raised in a religious circle, in the church circle many times want to step out there and see what that's like out in the world. I find it amazing when I talk with various groups of recovering people that those who have been in that lifestyle are looking for a way out and some of those who have been in the religious lifestyle are looking for a way into the addiction lifestyle. And I think that's just backwards. But what we find is often the world has this strong pull. This is, these are the two approaches we use. Josh told me this. He said, Art, I didn't start out thinking I'd be here. He was in an addiction group, a long-term addiction group. I had a grape swisher, a bag and a pipe and a syringe, and I just went out to have a good time. But I couldn't find my way back. I couldn't find the path. I was on the end of a pipe all along thinking, someday, someday it'll be different not today. And such is the voice of an addict who basically did not intend to get caught up in the addiction lifestyle, but the addiction did something to him. And I'm going to talk about how that happens in this lesson. When it comes to addiction, we must proudly, uh, uh, loudly proclaim the thing you are playing with is not playing with you. When we get people in recreational use of chemicals, uh, it's not playing with you. The downward spiral can grab hold sometimes from just the first, the first uh, experience. And so it's not playing. Addiction will not be satisfied until it has your life. Everything that is precious to you. People will give up their home, their job, their family, uh, their... Um, 
all kinds of things in order to get that next fix. And Satan helps them to, to, uh, to live that lifestyle. Now here's some other terms the Bible uses uh, it, uh, for addiction. It uses, we talked about strongholds. It talks about being devoured, that Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In the context of this lesson, we're talking about addiction and how people who are addicted work with other people to try to encourage them to be addicted. You're riding along in a car and someone fires up a, a, a joint or fires up some chemical and they pass it around in the car and if you don't take a hit off of it, then maybe you're chicken or whatever the term is these days. But uh, most, most men get caught up in addiction because they want to prove themselves with the gang of men or the herd of men they're with. I want to show I'm, I'm a real man. And most women get caught up in addiction, shame on us guys, because some guy got him into it, enticed them. And usually the target there is if I can get you high or get you messed up or drunk, then I can have my way with you. Well, that's how people get started. And peer pressure is real great. But that's how Satan works in there to devour us. That's a bloody, bloody phrase. Drunkenness and sorcery uh, are talked about as works of the flesh. And the Bible tells us very clearly, those who practice such shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You can't go to heaven and be smoking pot. You can't go to heaven and be out here drunk or go to heaven abusing chem chemicals in your body. Your body is not a test tube. It is a temple of God if you're a Christian. And God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And Christ is to be the center and circumference of your life. And you can't mix that with, uh, with uh, illicit chemicals. It's also talked about in terms of the snare of the devil. And wine or alcohol is talked about as a deceiver. And uh, strong drink is a rage, the, uh, the text tells us. Well, there's things that travel with the substance addiction lifestyle with the exception, perhaps, of prescription drugs. These travel with it. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 4, we'll look at in a moment, and there it's called the excess of riot. Fornication and adultery travel with the uh, substance lifestyle. Often, if you will think about it, how does a person pay for the chemicals? If we've got a, a meth habit, or we have a habit of, of uh, some of the opioids, heroin, we may have a two or three hundred dollar a day habit. How do you support a two or three hundred dollar a day habit? Well, there's only a few ways. You either have a lot of money or you know where there's money, like go sell grandma's china down at the pawn shop. Uh, so, you, so either money is available somewhere or you actually run the drugs for someone or you sell your body. Those are the four ways. There may be another one or two in there, but those are the four primary ways that people pay for their drugs. And, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, we, we see this excess of riot where we have sexual stuff that's, that's uh, keeping company with it. Lasciviousness uh, goes with it. 
when people lock themselves into a room and they are having a, a, a drug party, uh, often what will happen is, uh, is the guys in the room will say, all right, all you women strip down. And so it becomes kind of a, a nude fest with the women. Uh, that's not always the case, but it's often the case. Uh, other times uh, we see the lasciviousness of uh, going to the club and getting messed up while you're out there dancing or drinking or doing whatever. And, and we see that lascivious lifestyle. Uh, these things travel together. You seldom find one without the other. Deception and lying come in. Uh, someone asked the question, how do you know when an addict is lying? And the old, the old cliche is, well, their lips are moving. And, uh, and not telling the truth, not being honest with self and also the degrading of our body, which is the temple of God. Look at 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4 now in some detail. It says uh, in verse 1, you can read that, talks about Christ, but uh, that Christ, uh, we, Christ suffered for us. And then he says in verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. What he says is Jesus did something for you and you don't need to live any longer letting your flesh, letting the physical desires govern you. And then he goes on in verse 3, he says, For the time past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He says, in all this they are surprised that you do not run with them to the same excess of riot or dissipation, and they malign you. What's he said here? First thing he said is that, uh, that uh, the time past, your old life, your old man, your old person, whatever it is you used to do, that's plenty of time to have done that. Don't go back there. Don't go back to Egypt. And now what he says is what they did is they pursued. They were active in their pursuit of sensuality, lust. And then I've got three words. And those three words are different. Drunkenness, carousing, and drinking parties. Look at that. That's three levels of drinking. That's three levels of alcohol. Let's define those. The first one is falling down drunk, where you're kind of out of your head. You're just plastered. The second one is that you're just kind of tipsy. You're out here. You're drunk. Your eyes are glistening, but you're, you're, you're in control. And the third one is nursing the bottle. It's social drinking. Now look at that. Those are three different words. They're not the same. And he breaks those out. And he says, don't do that. The time past is sufficient to have done this. That's not who you are now. But then look what he says in that next verse, verse 4. He says that people are going to make, they're surprised first that you don't do what they do. Well, everybody's doing this. You know, why are you trying to be different? They're surprised at it. And not only that, they make fun of you. 
they malign you. You see what he's saying there? That when you make a choice to say no to the chemicals that people, these, these chemicals that people use to change their moods, when you get into that lifestyle, then you of necessity are going to curve yourself out from the people who are living a different lifestyle. And I'll tell you what, if you live the lifestyle and, uh, and you don't want to, to carve yourself out, that group will carve you out because you don't fit. You don't fit. That's why people will compromise to be in the group. And when they compromise, they start this road of addiction. All right. The diagnostic manual that we use in, in mental health uh, lists nine different criteria for what is an addiction. And I want to uh, quickly go through that. Increased and decreased tolerance. What that means is the first time you use a chemical, regardless of what the chemical is, the first time you use it, you get a bump. That is, you get a feeling from it. That feeling is either going to be up or down or psychotic. That's the only three ways you'd go with substances. Um, and, and, uh, and so as a person's in that, their first experience is going to is going to uh, do the job for them, maybe. But then what happens is, over time, as they do this, then they stop getting that bump, and so they increase their dosage. That's called increased tolerance. And what that means is that your body is shocked by it at first and has the effect, but it doesn't have as much effect. I will talk tomorrow morning about pornography and about how it starts out a lot of time relatively, although sinfully, mild, and then it gets out into really bizarre uh, perversions. And we'll talk about, about that as well. But here's what I learned about, it, about substance addiction. It is always progressive. What it takes to have the feeling when you start is not what it takes to have that same feeling as you progress. So what do you do? You usually use more and more or you change what you're using to something stronger. Decreased tolerance is something even more important because when a person is having decreased tolerance, it means it takes less of that chemical to get the same effect. Less of the chemical means that your body is assimilating the chemical at a different rate, a slow rate. It's staying longer in your system, <coughs> a lot of times in your liver, and that's where we get things like cirrhosis of the liver and pancreas problems and liver problems and even kidney problems because this substance is staying longer in our body and remember these are foreign substances they don't belong in your body so the longer they linger the more damage they can do and uh, tolerance can be decreased I when someone tells me it takes less to get the same effect I get kinda uh, I wake up on that one because what they're telling me is that they have progressed way way far in their substance. Well, the inability to control or quit. This is the person that says, well, you know, I'm just going to have one. I'm going to stop off at happy hour and have one and have a beer or have uh, or stop off and do some kind of drugs. And then they find themselves there three, four o'clock in the morning or two or three days later because they got caught up and went on a binge. There was one preacher uh, who uh, 
was using cocaine because he thought it helped him to be more animated in the pulpit. And what he did is he went out on a Friday and started doing an eight ball. And next thing he knew, it was Monday morning. And, uh, and his wife and everybody was wondering what happened to him. Where did he go? Is he dead? Is he laying in a ditch? They didn't know. And, of course, he had interesting time explaining what had happened um, to him. But nevertheless, um, you, using longer than, than expected. Uh, continuing use despite consequences. Person gets in jail, uh, gets arrested, their grades go down. If they're in school, uh, they lose their, uh, their circle of good friends, and yet they keep on using their substance. What this means is for the addict that the addiction, the object of the addiction, has become the primary thing in their life. Another way of saying that, it's become the idol in their life. And they are worshiping that. They will pay whatever price it is to get that next fix or hit or whatever it is. And then preoccupation, uh, I don't want to be without my substance, so I've got to figure out uh, how to have some on hand or when I'm going to get my next, my next hit. Uh, an, an addict, if they are a good addict, if there's such a thing, what they will do is they will have a stash somewhere just so if they run out that they don't go through the withdrawals that they will ultimately face. It's a fact that every class of substances except nicotine has the capacity to produce or to mimic symptoms of other psychiatric disorders. Uh, and what I mean by that is the neuroses we talked about last night, the psychotic behavior, and also, the, uh, obviously, the addictive stuff, the sleep disorders, all those things, uh, they travel with this. Every class of addiction uh, of substances that are abused uh, get, uh, get there. Now, this says except for nicotine. Nicotine is more powerful uh, in the body than heroin. It is harder to withdraw from nicotine than it is to withdraw from heroin. Yes, I'm talking about tobacco uh, in various forms, including spit tobacco. Um, and it is harder to get out of the system. Why is that? Because the big tobacco companies have put into the tobacco not just the nicotine, but they have added 23 plus ingredients that are addictive. Why do they do that? Well, the answer is, if we can't sell the product, we can't make the money. And so they intentionally put this stuff in there. In the big tobacco settlement of a few years ago, that was brought out very clearly, that there are addictive things that are added to the nicotine in order to bring about uh, sales. One in three people who use tobacco for a prolonged period of time will die a tobacco-related death. One in three. If I were to tell you that this morning I brought in a box of uh, gym shoes that were given to me, and we got all the all the favorite brands back there from Reebok to Nike or whatever whatever the Adidas, whatever the <coughs> brands are these days, and I brought those and put them in the back, uh, and I want to give those out, just get rid of them. I'm going to give a free pair of new shoes, new gym shoes to everyone. Don't raise your hand. How many would raise their hand? Now suppose I told you the reason they were given to me is that every third pair blows up. Would you like to have a pair of gym shoes and try them on? Remember, 
we're going to wipe out a third of the audience that takes those. And folks with good sense are saying, no, I don't want to take that chance. But that's the chance you're taking with nicotine. I could talk a long time about nicotine addiction, but I'm going to leave that for right now. All right, so we're going to go on a little journey now um, and note that, uh, that substances can be cunning and, and, yeah, let me get to where I'm Clicker's not working. There's other clickers there. Should I just use one of them? Okay. Thanks. Are we glad Mitch is here? All right. So let's, let's talk about what people see on the outside. When a person is addicted, here's, you, you've got to click. I'm going to get a new battery for you. Oh, ah, okay. All right. Yeah, I can do the up and down arrow. All right. What people see on the outside is, and these are hallmarks of addiction, cravings. When I ask the people that I work with, tell me what a craving is. I know what my craving is. If I'm sitting thinking about some chocolate or some ice cream, I'll sit there and I'll think about it long enough and then I'll, I'll go do that. What they tell me is multiply that times 10 to 15 and you'll understand what a craving is. They, and not to be vulgar, but what they will say is it's like when you need to go to the bathroom really bad and you just have to go. We all know that feeling that that's like a craving. I have to fulfill, thank you, I have to fulfill this, this thing. Uh, and, and, uh, and I try to fight it. I try to white knuckle it, but I can't. This thing just demands, uh, just demands satisfaction. So cravings and then my, uh, a person on the outside, their behaviors change. They, there's a subtle personality change about the person that is using their substances. Their thinking changes, and their priorities change, and their habits change. Their friends may, may change, and usually do. And, uh, and then we look at what's going on on the inside. Inside, the substance is rewiring the brain, and here's what's happening. In your brain, we have a series of synapses uh, with butons and axons, uh, not to get too much into the anatomy. But basically what these do is these send out neurotransmitters in your brain. You have a sending, uh, a sending action and you have a receiving action and the middle is the synapse. And what's happening is normally our body is sending out uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, uh, GABA, serotonin, dopamine, those kinds of neurotransmitters, and they're responding to how we are perceiving the environment. That's normally what happens in your brain. But when we introduce a substance, these are counterfeits that will fit the receptor cells in the brain. And they're counterfeits, and what they will do is they will cause the body to shut down its normal supply. Why? 
because when you add the chemical, the outside chemical, you flood the brain. In other words, there's too much of what's trying to fit in this receptor. So what happens is the body shuts down the normal stuff. That means your behavior changes. It shuts down the normal stuff and that receptor cell accepts the deception of this counterfeit chemical. Now this counterfeit chemical, when it's in that cell, is gonna function in the brain much like if you put kerosene or diesel fuel in your car. It will run for a little bit, but it won't run well. And you will notice some differences going on in your vehicle if you do that. Uh, but the, the, the brain is running on counterfeits. And the more we put in there, the crazier that the brain gets trying to figure out how do we do this. And ultimately, a person changes their brain chemistry to where the brain is more used to the counterfeit than it is to the natural. That's what cravings are. That's what, that's what this hijacking of the brain is all about. And the addict, uh, addicts will often say, I know I'm not thinking straight, I'm thinking with my addict brain. What's an addict brain looks like? An addict brain is very impulsive, very compulsive, uh, very paranoid often, uh, very, uh, very focused on other things in life aren't important, but this chemical is, that's an addict brain. And, and with that, the individual becomes very more and more focused on getting that chemical in order to feel normal. Well, let's explain this in a different way. Well, uh, in other words, the, the pleasure centers are placed on high alert. Now this particular chart, um, yeah, we can see it uh, here. Uh, sometimes the yellow doesn't come up. When a person uses their, the, the white line is baseline. That's how you are normally. Now I know normally we're not flat line, but just pretend. Uh, that's, that's how, that's normal range of how people usually are. But what happens here now is the, you take your first hit uh, on a substance and that sends you up to uh, you get your high. If you don't get a good experience, you won't use it again. You'll say, that didn't work for me or I don't like that. And so you don't go back to it. But if the first experience is a good experience, then you will not have another experience with that chemical that is as good as the first time. But you don't know that. So you keep trying to reproduce that first effect. And what that means is, as this yellow line, if you'll notice, the highs get lower. Notice I keep on using it, but I don't get the same effect. The highs get lower, but something else happens. The lows get lower. So that when I'm rebounding from my chemical, then I go into the opposite. So I get high, and then I get depressed. Now, I don't want to be depressed, so what I do, I go take another bump, and I get high again. And I do this seesaw kind of thing, and ultimately, the person who is the addict is going to use just to try to feel normal again. That's this line on the very, uh, at the very end where this person is way below where they normally would feel. They just, they feel worn out. They're sick and tired. 
but yet they don't want to experience that low. So addiction is about chasing the highs in order to avoid the lows once we've got our body chemistry functioning in that way. All right, we talked about tobacco. Okay, well, let me go back. Designer drugs. Not all drugs are prescription drugs. Designer drugs are where someone has changed a molecule or so and they have a chemical that, uh, that basically they use, uh, they sell it on the street uh, just to see what effect it has. That's, that's why um, uh, individuals will uh, talk about something's out on the street that's killing people because somebody's experimenting, they've changed some molecules around. Um, pot, alcohol, and cocaine usually travel together and cocaine and methamphetamine often will travel opposite one another. Why? Because they're, they're both stimulants. Cocaine, the price of cocaine, you buy, buy your cocaine supply, it will last, your high is gonna last 20 to 30 minutes. You get methamphetamine for the same dollars and what you will get is a 10 to 12 hour high. Now if you wanted to get high, would you choose to do 20, 30 minutes or would you choose to do 10 to 12 hours for the same dollars? Now people that get caught up in methamphetamine have some major issues because methamphetamine, everything that goes into the making and the cooking of methamphetamine, everything on it has a skull and crossbones on the bottle. And what they are doing is they're cooking this stuff together, putting that in their system, and it is poison and it's too strong for those for the synapse. It's too strong for these as a neural to replace a neurotransmitter. And what does it do then when it goes when it goes through? It cauterizes that synapse. Cauterize, that means burns it, damages it. And the chemical that it re replaces is your serotonin. That's your relaxation drug. And guess what happens when you don't have that in your system? You get depressed. People who are long-term users of methamphetamine, when they withdraw from this, what they will do is face a period of time that they may be, have major depression for six months to a year. What's happening during that time? That synapse is trying to heal. The good news is it can heal partially, about 90%, but you'll never be as effective as you were before you start using that. You got some brain damage going on. All right, that's methamphetamine. Uh, heroin is big out on the streets, um, and morphine as well. Um, prescription drugs, let me talk a little bit about that. And in the question, somebody asked me, what do you do about it? Because uh, that's another section in here. But, uh, but uh, with, with, these, with prescription drugs, I am getting more and more members of the church that are giving me calls. I had one preacher call me, and he said, he said, Art, he said, we got a member of our congregation that He's asked me this two or three times. He knows I've been to the dentist and I don't use those Tylenol 3s, so I just put them up on the shelf. And he'll call me on Saturday night and say, hey, I ran out of meds. Can I borrow some of yours to get me through till Monday? And he says, I hate to tell him no, because I've got them. 
I hate to tell him no. So I said, well, what did you do? He says, I gave them to him. And I asked him, I said, are you your brother's keeper or are you your brother's dealer? And I asked him how he looked in orange. That was the color of the year for prisons because that's passing drugs. If your name's not on the bottle or someone, that person's name's not, not on the bottle, don't give it to them. If you believe that's not a problem, ride along and have a cop stop you and you've got someone else's medication in your car and see how you like looking uh, through the bars while they try to sort that out. You're not supposed to be in possession of other people's medications. Well, uh, sometimes young, uh, there was one place called me and their young people, they said, oh, our young people are doing so great. What they're doing is they're going around visiting the sick. They listen to the sick list each morning uh, uh, in service and they go around and check on brother or sister so-and-so and isn't that great? And I'm listening, and then it's like, later on, I'll get a call back and say, you know, uh, sister so-and-so uh, is getting awful forgetful. She's forgetting that she's taking her meds. And sometimes she's not forgetting. Those visitors went through her, they pilfered her med box. And those announcements announced who had oxycodone and all that stuff. When you announced the sickness, you also al almost announced the treatment. And so they were basically going around jonesing off the brethren. All right. Uh, being careful also of herbal remedies. Uh, don't have time to go into all that, but people can wind up in the hospital or dead from, uh, so from some of the concoctions that they come up with, even over-the-counter drugs. I don't have time to talk about caffeine. I want to show you some pictures just real quick. Here's what your brain looks like normally when everything's firing just right. Okay? If a person has a stroke, then that brain's going to change. Now, what looks like holes in the brain or pieces of the brain missing, that's not missing. These actually are just spots that are not functioning. All right? So that's that sort of person with a stroke. That's how their brain might look. But the real reason not to do drugs is because they damage your brain. And when they do that, they limit your access to yourself. All right. Here is a, and these, by the way, are called spec scans. These are actual brain pictures. And notice the cocaine. Did you notice from the normal brain, our colors changed? But also, we've got spots in the brain that aren't working. Compared to methamphetamine, both of these are stimulants. And with that, we, we see areas of the brain that aren't working. When you're talking to someone high on cocaine or on meth, then they're not talking to you with their full brain functioning. There's pieces of the brain that aren't working right. Yeah, can they, can they get by in society? Probably, but they're not gonna talk to you with a full brain. Um, here's alcohol and compared to heroin. Okay. Parts of the brain are not functioning. The next one, I'm asked often, well, what do you think about legalizing marijuana? And I'll tell you what I think. I think this picture tells me what I think. This is the brain on marijuana. And if you'll notice, it's devoid of almost all color, which tells me that parts of the brain with marijuana have been shut down. And the blue would tell me kind of where that mellow effect is, that we've limited the brain from its other functions to where now we're out here feeling mellow. 
Now, you want that brain? Or do you want a normal brain? Well, you'll have to decide that. Well, um, all right. I, there's other things we could go into here. And there's a section in this uh, PowerPoint that you can look at yourself. And what it deals with is the family and what the church can do about it. And I think I'm going to kind of get to that in the questions. So I'm going to stop now and, uh, and just let you know there's other things in this particular PowerPoint. Thank you for listening so well. has reached this five-year state, is it, can he uh, regain basically full function of that brain that has been damaged by this, or is he just beyond repair, might I say? Usually, and I won't say always, but usually a person can regain the use of their brain, but it's going to be a process of recovery, and it's going to have to be intentional. It can't just be, well, I just quit and just forget about it because the body is going to keep craving or begging for that chemical. And it will do it up to, up to five years before it becomes natural, before you go back to your kind of normal state. So it's not an overnight thing. It's going to take help and time <coughs> to get back even close to normal. Yes. And what it will take is that most people cannot do it by themselves. When I say cannot, during the good times when, it, when everything's going great, yeah, they got that. They can do that. But it's not the good times that are the problem because this is a problem of impulse. It's during the times that you're down uh, and we go back like the Israelites want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to our old lifestyle. It keeps bumping us, to, it keeps inviting us back. That's what a stronghold is. Okay. And so during that time when we're down, here's what we need to have put in place during the good times. You need a sponsor. That's someone that walks along beside of you. That is someone who knows what it's like because they've been there. In other words, another recovering person. That person is going to walk you through some self-inventory uh, if they're in a 12-step program, they'll walk you through that. The, you're going to need to not only have a sponsor, you probably need to have several accountability partners. These are people that you call that keep you on track. I've got several that call me daily at a certain time and check in with me. And we see how it's going. They're having a bad day, we got some things we tell them. Um, if they're having a good day, some things we tell them. Um, but uh, a sponsor, an accountability partner, and they need to go to meetings. Now, by meetings, I mean a 12-step meeting, um, such as uh, Cocaine Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, some of those groups. They'll need to go to those. Um, and at first, they need to go to what we call 90 and 90 go to one meeting a day minimum for three months. Why? 
because we are trying to curve an ingrained habit and to change it and to do that you've got to stay focused on it and those meetings are an hour apiece and they have all over the place even in airports if you're in an airport and here it announced birds of a feathers meeting down in such such place that's your addictions group birds of a feather uh, but anyway so they'll be out there but you need your recovery group you need your accountability partner and your sponsor and you have to be working a program now sometimes people talk about the 12 step and they say well you know I don't know about that well if you know about the 12 steps the 12 steps originally had Bible verses by them. I put those Bible verses back in when I uh, when I conduct groups and here's the spirituality piece that was taken out and I put those back in and you know what you can preach that you can preach the 12 steps brethren won't know you're doing it uh, but you can preach those 12 steps because it's a way of life it's it's the Christian way of life congregations could have have meetings as well I think we horribly underutilize our church buildings uh, for valid valid stuff but some congregations are going to a book called 12-step Christianity and what they're doing is they're talking about first three steps you're not in control God is let go and let him that's your first three steps then your next steps are you need to take a look at your life and so you take a look at your life four five and six and then step seven and eight you need to fix what you broke and then you need to stay with this but you need to go out and share this with other people that's evangelism it's Bible folks it just doesn't have the Bible verses by it but some people don't like that so there's other groups like celebrate recovery uh, that also has its issue because it usually is in a church building denominational building and has a little kind of worship service and uh, praise band or something at the start if that's not a problem for you you don't go particularly for that you go for that recovery piece that follows <coughs> that uh, you'll have to decide on that but those options are out there and uh, going to those meetings are critical uh, they're a lifeline uh, having a network of people that you can call uh, that's important and by the way with uh, what I do uh, we have such networks uh, people that'll say hey have people call me I'm a member of the church I've been in recovery for so long if people need help have them call me so I've got folks if you can't find them that actually speak the language you know the language it's Church of Christ um, and that's the language and the world doesn't understand our language folks uh, so we need to we need to have people that understand where we're coming from that's a long answer to that um, all right um, let's see what the questions say what about CBD even pharmacists encourage this um, there's a lot of misinformation about CBD actually CBG is also out there now um, and CBD is from the hemp plant and usually when I say hemp people think marijuana no CBD oil has um, has point zero zero five three amounts of of pot in it or, or marijuana not enough to even register or to affect your system whatsoever 
CBD uh, is in its early stages. Uh, it's been out for a little while, and you see shops popping up everywhere. Uh, it's in the early stages, and it has uh, trial, clinical trials are in process. It, at least early uh, from self-use, uh, has, uh, has been effective in dealing with fibromyalgia, stress, anxiety, depression, a whole bunch of things. Uh, I'm an advocate of this and, uh, and actually uh, am a vendor for CBD uh, and uh, encourage uh, some of my patients uh, to take this. Um, but CBD is not a drug like, like these others I'm talking about. It, is not, it doesn't act that way. It is, not, it is not addictive and it is not marijuana. Uh, it is a whole different section of the hemp. And by the way, the farm bill that President Trump signed um, separated hemp from marijuana. Uh, it was put in there because some, they were using hemp in pharmacies before that. And what happened is that when they put this bill together way back in the 30s or 40s, they threw hemp in there, not knowing, they just threw it in, and it traveled with it, so it became illegal. All hemp was illegal. But there are valid uses for hemp. Anyway, that's CBD oil. Uh, CBG is also uh, actually about 10 times more uh, effective uh, in a little different part of your endocannabinoid system. Is there any difference between vaping products and tobacco products with regard to nicotine addiction? Well, with vaping, uh, uh, does everybody know what vaping is? Uh, with vaping, you go to your vape shop, you can get your chemical that you put in the end of it. You can get different flavors, butterscotch, all kinds of different stuff. And you, you can get, uh, get uh, uh, stuff that you put in there. Actually, you can even put a drug in, a, a major drug in there. Um, but um, the things I'm hearing about vaping is the stuff people are putting into their lungs there are some people, some, uh, a small number at this point, that are actually dying from, uh, from uh, vaping. Up in Indianapolis, six people died uh, with, uh, with vaping, the, the Juul, J-U-U-L, uh, vape products. Uh, and um, I would just recommend that Christians stay away from this. And here's, here's why I think people want to smoke and to vape. When I, or... What am I doing? Deep breathing. I'm deep breathing. Remember we talked about teaching people to breathe? One of the reasons that when people decide to quit that stuff and they try to quit, they quit deep breathing. And so what I, what I did is the, uh, I taught tobacco cessation classes and it's like, you know what? We need to, and I had artificial cigarettes that I passed out. You need to carry this. You can do it with a big pen, just take the filler out and go out and go, okay? What are you doing? You're deep breathing. What do you do when you deep breathe? You oxygenate your body. And often when people quit smoking, they quit also that deep breathing that sometimes they're doing every 15 to 20 minutes. And you're changing you're changing the effect. So, uh, so if, if you stop cold turkey or cold chicken, that's where you taper off. Uh, but if you do that, then don't forget to breathe. 
Do those deep breathing exercises we talked about. Um, all right, but um, yeah, getting nicotine in your system, it's going to produce that same effect that there's all kinds of carcinogens and uh, poisons uh, that are in the tobacco products, including formaldehyde. You know what you use formaldehyde for? To embalm dead bodies. Why would you want to stick that in your lungs? Notice you did not mention energy drinks. Is that something to worry about regarding addiction? Absolutely. I didn't mention those. Um, but many people are addicted to the energy drinks. They get their boost. They can't get going in the morning. And I might also add in there that there's other, other things that we need to take a serious look at um, uh, that have nicotine in them. And I'm going to really stop preaching go to meddling here because chocolate and coffee are the two big offenders there. And we need to look at that. And people, a lot of times, that are heavy coffee drinkers stop. They go through withdrawals. They get those dull headaches, and uh, their system goes through withdrawal because the chemical's been taken out. I didn't say stop drinking coffee. Uh, but what I said is you need to take a strong look at it uh, as to whether you have become dependent upon it or addicted to it. Okay, one more, and then questions are up. Um, is an addict or an alcoholic ever completely cured? I think that gets to your question. And uh, we don't speak of addiction in terms of cure. We speak of it in terms of recovery. And here's why. Your body has <coughs> memories. So for instance, if a person has been raped, assaulted, shot, um, had a chair pulled out of them, and they've sat down, when you touch that spot that was affected by that, that memory comes back. When people use chemicals, then that comes back. Those memories come back. Sometimes what people will, uh, uh, in the long term, they would do is they would come down in the morning. They hadn't had anything maybe for a month or two. And what they'll say is, Art, I feel high. You know, and I know I didn't use anything, but I feel high. You know, what's going on? And I ask them, how would you sleep last night? What were your dreams about? Oh, I'm dreaming in living color. And I actually had a using dream. I dreamed I had used. And when I woke up, it's kind of like, oh, maybe I did use. And so they're feeling that way. All that stuff, the body remembers that. And this stuff comes back. At times, like funerals, or times when, when families are in distress, then people can be very tempted to go back to what they may have quit doing for years. Because that's the coping mechanism, and we remember when I hurt like this, this takes the hurt away. Okay. There's so much more we could say here. All right. Is caffeine as bad as other drugs on the brain? Did I just answer that? Um, caffeine does not have the same effect. It doesn't make you psychotic. It may give you just a little jolt. Um, but it doesn't have the same effect as, as, uh, as others. Um, do you think food addiction is as damaging as drug addiction? Well, the answer is yes. Actually, it may be more so. Uh, food addiction, substance addiction affects your, basically your whole body. 
But food addiction, especially if we're up and down, um, or if we're in bulimia or anorexia, which means we're starving ourselves, or if we're in compulsive overeating, what's happening is we're just, we're, our body's not made to function with a lot of extra weight. And it's not made to function without enough weight. It is made to function in kind of a normal balance. Now that doesn't mean you have to go out and run and exercise and do all that stuff every day. But it does mean that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it means that we need to take care of ourselves. Usually with the eating disorders, it's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. That emotional eating where we're trying to make something go away. You know what I'm talking about. When you sit down and you uh, uh, realize there's a bag of Doritos and you go in there and say, I want to have a few Doritos and you eat the whole bag, you know that? Or the ice cream, uh, especially the Bluebell ice cream. Uh, you know, you go and you, and you say, well, I'm going to have, a, I'm gonna have a, a scoop of that and we end up eating the whole carton. And if we have a second carton, we might try that too because we don't want to miss that flavor as well. That's compulsive stuff. That's not eating because you're hungry. That's eating because there's something inside that we need to satisfy somehow. By the way, and our time is up, but there's an entire segment on our website on eating. And as a matter of fact, if you go through your Bible, the Bible has as much to say about eating as it does about sexual uh, promiscuity. The first sin involved food. And Paul talks about being brought under the power, meat for the belly and the belly for meat, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And Paul, uh, Paul shows what abstinence is when he says, if eating meat causes a problem for you, I'll just eat something else. I won't eat meat because I don't want you to stumble. Do we have that kind of willpower? When it comes to fasting, where are we with that? That was almost a lost art. I'm hearing more and more that uh, some folks are getting into that. But fasting, and even the Pharisees, and our righteousness is to exceed them. Even the Pharisees, the one praying on the street corner, prayed and said, I fast twice in a week. Anyway, a whole bunch on food. But go on the website. You've got about six hours on that. It's broken out in chapters, so you don't have to listen to the whole thing. Yes. Real quick, back in the CBD, we discovered back to trying to make a profit margin, people are putting more THC in it than they should. So you've got to be real careful about the ingredients, about who you're buying from. Are they a trusted developer? Because people, you can, in our case, we drug test randomly, mm -hmm. you can lose your job with CBD oil in your system. So mm -hmm. you've got to, walk, they want to market like the tobacco companies did and make you like their product more mm -hmm. so they increase the percentage of THC that shouldn't put any in. Right. Yeah, what is, what is, it's not regulated well yet. No. So what you want to do is to buy from a reputable company. Uh, I can tell you a couple of those. But um, uh, you want to buy from something reputable. And st everything sold as CBD, some of it doesn't have any CBD in it at all. It's simply got the, the letters on it. So there's a lot of deception going on in the marketplace. Um, yeah, buy from somebody reputable. All right. Art, would you check, I think perhaps, you missed one question. Oh, did I? Okay. What did I miss?
Um, yeah, I spoke of, this, the question is, is an addict or alcoholic ever completely cured? And we don't talk about addiction in terms of being cured. We talk about it in terms of being in remission or a person being in recovery. Recovery is a lifelong process because we have trained our brain. We've hijacked the brain with the, with the uh, addiction, hijacked the brain to be able to click into that addict brain. And it can always be a problem. So that's why people in recovery need to constantly be taking their inventory. If someone gives you feedback, then you need to listen to what they're saying. They're on the outside looking in and they may see that old addict behavior, that stinking thinking, and they may see that, and you may not see it because you're on the inside looking out. All right, but um, no. When, once you become an addict, um, we always speak of that as once an addict, always an addict. The addictive behavior, your body, you've trained yourself to do it. It's the Pandora's box, and you've trained yourself to be that way. Um, very much like uh, diabetes. Well, it won't necessarily kill you to smoke pot, but it can make you act like Willie Nelson. <laughs> it doesn't kill you, but it, it makes you mellow and opens up some other areas. Okay. Any other questions? 